know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation, episode 151. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, and today our guest is Frank Figaluzzi, Jr. He's a former federal law enforcement agent. Actually, he's the former assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI, and he was appointed to that position by Director Robert Mueller back in 2011. Frank was also previously the special agent in charge of the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Cleveland Division, which includes all of Northern Ohio, and specifically Cleveland, Toledo, Youngstown, Akron, and Canton. He earned his JD with honors from the University of Connecticut School of Law. He also completed the Harvard University National Security Program for Senior Executives in Government at the John F. Kennedy School of Government. He's currently a frequent national security contributor for NBC and MSNBC News, and he's on there a lot. Well, welcome, Frank. I'm so happy you're here. This is a pleasure and and, and an honor, and we've been dialoguing for a while now, Dr. Williamson, and 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 ironically, you you've graciously agreed to be a guest on my podcast, and now it's mutual. So I'm glad we had a chance to do it. Absolutely. And we have to mention your podcast as well before we we get off of here. But I want to just go back a little bit because we've known each other for a number of years. And can you just talk about what it is uh, that you do and uh, how we got connected in Ohio? Sure. This goes this goes way back. Um, I I retired uh, as the FBI's assistant director for counterintelligence out of Washington, D.C., FBI headquarters. But that was the culmination of a long 25 year career as an FBI special agent. Part of that four years of that career was spent running the FBI in northern Ohio, the FBI Cleveland field office, which covered uh, nine different offices in Northern Ohio, including a fairly large satellite office in Toledo. And it was that was the first time that I really had any experience from my, my FBI background with the topic of, tra- of, of juvenile trafficking in particular, um, and in particular, the, the reasons why a, a certain city would be considered a hub of juvenile prostitution. So you know, I was new to Ohio. The FBI moves you around during your career. I had no previous connection to Toledo, but here I come and I learn from my staff there in Toledo who says, boss, Toledo is a national hub for juvenile prostitution. And we started looking at why, which is fascinating. And it was a combination of factors, as you well know. It was the intersection of major interstate highways, proxim- very close proximity to Detroit, a much larger city, mm-hmm. um, a poverty level that was disturbingly high. Um, And then this kind of family of, I call it pimp family history, which Mm -hmm. is that generations of pimps had had grown up and remained in business in the Toledo era. So all of that combined um, gave FBI headquarters the reason to to designate us as a key office 
in what the FBI calls its Innocence Lost National Initiative. So that was a wake-up call for me. And then we did some great work with groups like the group you founded at the time called Second Chance, Mm -hmm. figuring out alternatives to arrest, figuring out how we go about not looking at these traffic victims as criminal defendants, but looking at them as victims that needed resources and alternatives to get out of that life. That was the that was a kind of, kind of on the cutting edge for the FBI. You were a large part of that. It led to the FBI director uh, in Washington naming a second chance as a recipient of the FBI's direct FBI director's community leadership award. So I I flew to Washington in 2009. So did um, your representative there and uh, Mary. I think her, her name was Mary Sch- uh, Schmidbauer. Yes, exactly. And, um, and I was there when the FBI director, who at the time was Bob Mueller, shook her hand, gave her the award. Every field office gets to name their um, nomination for recipient of the award. And second chance was ours. Yeah. And I mean, if you would have, you couldn't have told me Celia Williamson when she was 16 and 17 and 19 years old that um, the FBI would be one of my favorite people or people that I even hung out with or even knew. (laughs) You couldn't have convinced that young person. But I mean, some of the work that you all have done in our community was amazing. Uh, First of all, you when you came to town, there were there weren't very many innocence lost projects and they they're around the country and they went to major cities. And for the most part, and when we got one, we were excited. And I think what you did was you really brought the legitimacy of this issue. We knew it was happening. We knew we didn't have one child to spare. We knew we were in trouble. We were a city in trouble and we were a state in trouble. But when you came, um, you brought the legitimacy and you brought the work. I mean, you all have made major cases here. We were we were very uh, humbled and and proud simultaneously of our ability to apply the, the, the vast resources of the FBI, you know, so many times local and county law enforcement simply doesn't have the kind of resources, certainly not to, to have a national impact. But when we were designated a, an innocence lost office, um, well, here comes the resources and the prioritization, but also you mentioned legitimacy. So it's one thing for a community activist group, um, a social work type background to walk into a sheriff's office. And 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 I sometimes I think they're held at arm's length when that happens. Okay, here come the touchy feely people. But when the FBI walks into the local county or county sheriff's office, that's that's cop to cop. You know, we speak their language, and I, I think we introduced this concept of how about not you know what we call handcuffing, hooking them up. Let's not. How about not hooking up these young ladies? But how how about offering them an option? Of, of going to a place that will have resources for them, a roof over their head, um, uh, some, maybe some job training. What is it? Asking the question, what is it do you need to get away from this life that you're in? And in particular, what I found was, you know, the, the middle-aged white guy, FBI agent or county sheriff, not likely to have a whole lot of success there, but the victim witness specialists in the FBI, which, by the way, is a really cool job in the FBI for anyone, particularly with a social work background, um, to think about, which is if you want to be part of the solution, perhaps from the law enforcement side, 
These often female, they're they're male, female, but in my opinion, there's great success with female victim witness specialists. And we had outstanding ones in, in Northern Ohio would sit down with these young women, often in crisis as they're about to be arrested or have been and say, let's talk, right? And that trust has to get developed. And then how about going to this alternative here? And then ultimately, that compassion led to crime fighting. And you might say, what, wait a minute, what's the, what's the connection between compassion toward victims and crime fighting? Well, when that trust is developed, uh, that compassion is demonstrated, the victims start t- feeling comfortable talking about who's trafficking them, who is the pimp. And then that enabled us, you know, you mentioned some successes. That enabled us to have national takedowns right out of Toledo of of guys and families who were trafficking these young ladies to places like the Super Bowl, uh, national political conventions, and all of that happening right out of Toledo. Yeah, it's always amazing because when we think about, you know, does trafficking occur at the National Republican Convention, the National Democratic Convention? Yes, and both. <laughs> both. Right. It's an equal, it's a nonpartisan or bi- bipartisan uh, trafficking scenario. Yeah. It absolutely is. And uh, the partnership that was formed, I can say, between the FBI, the victim witness specialists, and the coalitions, uh, you very much in, I, I don't know how it works around the country, but I know in our state, um, in our community, we were very much in partnership with the FBI. The FBI um, always sent people to our anti-trafficking coalition meetings. Um, we They informed us as best they could, as much as they could. Oftentimes that wasn't a lot because they had active investigations going on. But um, it was a, a partnership and, and still very much is. So tell us a little bit more about the victim witness Specialist, I I know a lot of people don't know that that job and that person even exists in the FBI. Yeah, um, I think from movies and television, everybody's image of the FBI is the special agent with the gun and the badge, uh, making arrests, solving investigations. Um, And that's true. But there are so many other jobs in the FBI. In fact, it's a minority of positions in the FBI that are actually special agents. The rest are all professional specialists in various areas. One of them is called the victim witness specialist role. And they, uh, like I said, very often, but but not always, have, have a background in social work. And the FBI comes alongside victims of federal crimes. And that you can imagine, that's a vast uh, uh, category of people. You you could be the victim bank teller at a bank robbery who maybe has been shot or maybe is a witness who is afraid to come forward and talk about this. Maybe you're a major uh, source of information on a drug or gang organization. Um, maybe you're a victim of terrorism. Imagine the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Imagine about 3,000 deceased victims and their families and the FBI having to come alongside them, explain their victim rights as families, and keep them updated on the investigation. That's probably the largest example I have. That, that was all hands on deck for, for victim witness specialists across the country. But in the, in the area we're talking about, um, at the time I was in Ohio, we had two or three victim witness specialists. They happened to be female, um, and they had tremendous success. Uh, working with victims of trafficking and developing the trust, showing the compassion, 
And again, getting them to talk about who is who is trafficking them so we can have a di- make a difference together on the national problem. I recommend any person really of any age who's looking for a, an incredibly satisfying career. It's not like the agent position where there are age limits and physical requirements. It's a it, it can take a, anyone from any background interested um, in working with victims and witnesses of crime. And it's the compassionate side of the FBI. I, I highly recommend. And anybody can check that out at uh, FBI.gov. Go to the job section, see see who's posting victim witness jobs and where, which field offices they're being posted in. Well, you know, I get questions at least once a month about uh, from students who say, you know, I'm interested in being an actual FBI agent. Do you have any recommendations for what they should do, where they should start, where they should go? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm biased. I think it was a wild adventure of a lifetime. It was a wild ride. I I tell people, and I think you'll relate to this because you, you know, your work, your research, your street level impact is not a nine to five job with holidays and weekends. It's in fact, in fact, it's often night times and weekends, I guess, when you were being called into service, but the same for us. So I, I, the first thing I tell a young person is, hey, if you're looking for just a career, uh, this is not for you, the FBI agent's position. You will carry a gun and a badge. You will go through the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. You will be assigned to any field office the FBI needs you to be assigned to. Um, and however, it is the most incredibly rewarding thing. The work you're doing involves national security, making a difference on gang and drugs. The FBI enforces about 300 federal violations, crimes against the United States laws, and you can specialize in cybercrime. I, I really specialized in counterterrorism and counterintelligence, catching spies, catching terrorists. But there are people who specialize in violent crime, fugitives, drugs, white collar crime, public corruption, corrupt officials, corrupt police officers. The FBI does that. The FBI is the number one lead civil rights enforcement agency of the Department of Justice. So if police are using excessive force, for example, uh, um, if police are discriminating against minorities, that's a civil rights violation. That's a federal crime. And the FBI investigates that. So um, got to have a college degree, at least for that. Uh, many, many FBI agents today have advanced degrees. I, I happen to have gone to college and then law school. So I have a law degree. Um, they're looking for accountants and social workers and lawyers and, you know, uh, cybersecurity IT specialists. People from all walks of life. Why? Because you have to deal with all walks of life to be a successful FBI agent. Wow, you just make it sound like that's something that I want to. I want to go do. I mean, it sounds so interesting, uh, and it always has to me. But so, Frank, you've done such wonderful work here, and but now you've gone on, and you know you are an expert often on NBC or MSNBC. Um, and you're also an author and a, a, a very pretty uh, prolific writer and a pretty famous author. I mean, people are buying your books like mad. And w- tell us a little bit about one of your best-selling books. Well, I, it was my first and only book. I'm working on a second project right now. But if anybody, you know, you mentioned if anybody had told you at a young age that you'd be hanging out with FBI folks or uh, joining uh, joining them in a partnership, you would have uh, thought that was crazy. If somebody had told me after, after a career of largely secret national security work 
that I would be on television virtually every day. Um, today, as we record this, I'll be on MSNBC this afternoon live commenting on, on issues. Um, I would have thought they were crazy, but it's a crazy world that we live in. And so after I retired from the FBI, I was, in, I was approached by NBC News who said, hey, um, can you come talk you know, about national security when we need you, law enforcement when we need you, terrorism when we need you? Well, it turns out I'm needed um, several times a week. And that that popularity, uh, the other thing that I would have told you was crazy was if you said someday you'll have half a million Twitter followers. And I, I didn't know what Twitter was, uh, Celia. So, but now I, I have half a million Twitter followers. So, um, and that turned into a book offer um, from Harper Collins, a major publisher. And uh, I wrote a book called The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. And I wrote it because I saw our country um, attacking our institutions. Sometimes it's healthy to, to question authority and, and, and attack people in, in institutions, but I saw a particular presidential administration attacking the agency that I loved and spent 25 years at because the FBI happened to be investigating him. And so I said, let me write a book that explains my, my experience in the FBI, hence the FBI way inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. It can apply to any business, team, family, organization. It simply contains seven chapters, uh, and they're all, they start with the letter C, from code to conservancy to clarity, consequences, compassion, credibility, consistency on how to be a better leader by protecting your values. That's that's what happened um, with that. I now write a regular column for MSNBC Daily Online. I have a weekly podcast, which you graciously um, agreed to be a part of. We're, that's going to be out there now uh, for people to download. Uh, we had a great oh, What's the name of that? What's the name of your podcast? My podcast is simply called The Bureau with Frank Figgles. The Bureau with Frank Figgles. Yeah, you can get it anywhere you get podcasts. Um, uh, download it. Check it out. It really takes you behind the scenes in law enforcement, the FBI, and uh, and criminal work. So hopefully so interesting. you'll enjoy it. Yep. Very interesting. And so we... You reached out to me because you're working on a new project, and I'm I'm pretty excited about this project. Can you just tell us a little bit about it? It's not a book; it's not out no, yet. I can share. I can share a little bit, and that is this ties right back to my podcast. So my podcast started last year. We're, we're approaching the one year mark. Literally, I think this month will be the one year mark of our podcast. The very second episode I recorded. And this was an unprecedented season of the podcast because the FBI had never allowed somebody outside the FBI to have access every week to active duty FBI personnel. So the second episode I record is an active duty criminal analyst uh, at Quantico, Virginia. And during the recording, just as you and I are talking, she and I am asking her about what she does every day. And she says, well, I'm in charge of the Highway Serial Killers Initiative. And I I had to, I, I had to make her repeat that. I said, I, I don't know. I spent 25 years at the FBI. I don't know anything about this. Well, come to find out, I won't, I won't divulge all of this, but you know, there are hundreds, Celia, hundreds of victims that that have not been resolved yet in terms of murder victims along the nation's highways and truck stops and rest stops. And you would, of course, understand that many, many of these victims are, in fact, trafficked victims 
Um, and that got me very interested. And I've decided to write a book about this. And I'm engaged in, in research on the topic. And it's going to be such an interesting book. So when the book comes out, you will have to come back on the podcast and just let us know a little bit more about the book and where we can pick it up. So, Frank, can you tell us, can you share with us um, maybe one of your success stories when you were working in Ohio or working in uh, the anti-trafficking area? Mm. Well, I, I clearly, and I, I'm always careful to say this as the boss, right, of hundreds of people, agents and, and specialists working in Northern Ohio, that nothing comes back directly to me. It's the work of very fine people. But when we're talking about um, trafficking generally, the Toledo cases where we arrested nine or 10 pimps at, at one time as part of a major case and federally prosecuted them, taking them out of the trafficking business, um, that, that's a huge win. You, you don't easily replace nine or 10 pimps um, in a city. And what does it tell the victims in the area? It tells the victims, this is for real. You mentioned legitimacy. You want, you want street cred as a, as a cop or FBI agent? How about showing that nine or 10 of these guys are gone? They're gone. Yes. And going back to what you said about, uh, I'm going to call it lineage of, you know, in Toledo, you can go back. I mean, there's even a book in the library. It goes back, I think, to the 20s. But you can see who has mentored who in uh, the pimp world. You know, we call them OG pimps and they mentor and, and pass down this way of of running this underground economy and it's it's gone it can go back as far as i've traced to the 20s but particularly throughout the 40s 50s 70s and so when you remove a major uh, cell like nine or ten people you have disrupted this lineage of um, passing this information on to the next generation the next generation so i, I just want people that are listening to understand why that's critical, because it's not just a random nine or 10 people, it's nine or 10 people who now can't go forward and mentor two or three people each and can and keep this going. So it's very important of uh, the work that you guys did here. So can you tell us just uh, off the top of your head, what you think should be done in the future or what's what's one of your frustrations in this type of work i think i think there's there's a lot of analogy here uh and similarities to the the, the, the fight against drug abuse and addiction and that is that the chain has to be broken somewhere and 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 getting in early and intervening is really what needs to get done and so you might say people might say well the law, law enforcement, the FBI doesn't have a role. You know, they come in after the fact, right? They investigate a crime. And I say, well, if you look back to the drug analogy, you know, and you think back to the D.A.R.E. program in schools, you think about getting cops up in front of classrooms in schools saying, look, this is bad stuff. Don't let this happen to you. Well, the same thing needs to happen um, uh, with community organizations like yours. I know you do this, but finding at-risk kids, at-risk schools, Right. And and understanding that people aren't going to get offended if you call their community an at-risk community. They're actually going to embrace you and say thank you if you do it correctly. And get out in front of kids who you think are headed toward and because they're vulnerable, 
um, for a number of socioeconomic factors uh, and family factors, get them out, get out in front and say, this isn't, you're going to be presented with this opportunity perhaps to quote unquote, make some money and, and wear some great clothes and have a guy like you. And here's what the reality is. And here's how you avoid that. And here's a path that's very different, much better and much more rewarding. That early intervention, I think is the key. And I, and I, I think police departments are, and law enforcement generally are behind the curve on partnering with community organizations on early intervention programs. Hey, I wanted to break into this episode to let you know that if you're interested in getting ahead of the problem of human trafficking by engaging in prevention and changing the trajectory of the lives of at-risk youth, then listen and learn about what really works in the field of anti-trafficking prevention curricula. Follow me here. The first issue is to understand that every youth is not at the same level of risk. There are youth at higher risk than other youth. Second, for those at higher risk, education doesn't necessarily translate into lowered risk. Youth at high risk will be educated and will remain at high risk because there are other factors keeping them at high risk. Third, understand that sex traffickers don't commonly snatch youth off the street and chain their wrists and ankles. They manipulate them and chain their minds and hearts in what we call trauma bonding. If that's true, then we need to train youth to see the manipulation coming, assess it for what it is, and do something preemptively about it. My Best Life Human Trafficking Prevention Curriculum for At-Risk Girls uses the safer method to teach girls how to see risky situations and risky people, assess the situation, find suitable and safe solutions, evaluate those solutions, and respond. We talk about support and relationships and boundaries, and we reduce the risk factors that increase the opportunities for someone to remain vulnerable and to be trafficked. If you're interested in lowering risk and perhaps changing the trajectory of someone's life for the better, check out my free webinar on the Best Life Curriculum at CeliaWilliamson.com. Learn how to become a trained Best Life facilitator today. And now on with the podcast. If people wanted to get a hold of you, Frank, I, they can watch you on NBC or MSNBC, but um, can they email you? Do you have a website where people can get more information? I do. Um, if people want to want to offer up um, uh, their backgrounds and histories, you want to chat about FBI careers, uh, I'm, I'm happy to help and, and I'm happy to learn as well. So it's um, www.frankfigluzzi.com. So frankfigluzzi.com, one word, Frank Figluzzi. Dot com, and there's a place there you'll see for to contact me. I do public speaking. Um, I do consulting work. Um, you can check out my book. You can check out my podcast at the site. And on and almost every time I'm on TV, there's a clip uh, of me on the website as well. Awesome. And Frank, you are looking for some particular uh, people with expertise um, that can serve as consultants for your upcoming book. Do, can you talk about who you're looking for? Because somebody who's a listener might want to reach out to you. I really thank you. I'm, I really am getting into deep research on the topic of truck stop uh, prostitution and being victimized and trafficked at truck stops. Now, there's some good news there in that there may be less of a 
it may be less common in in terms of the old-fashioned trafficking, meaning the physical presence at a truck stop. But what I'm learning is that it may have it may be transitioning. There's so much going on online with regard to to attracting truckers as they travel through the country. There's so much happening at massage parlors that just happen to be next door to a truck stop. So I'm looking for anyone that has either historical or 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 near nearer term recent experience, either way, uh, involving being trafficked uh, at truck stops. So if, if, if so, please reach out to me at my website, frankfigluzzi.com. Yeah. So if there are survivors or thrivers out there that want to have their voices heard, um, empower yourself, provide, you know, be a consultant, provide good information that then goes to educate the world. So if you're out there, reach out to Frank and Frank, thank you so much for your time. This has been very valuable and I know I learned a lot and I know you're a very busy person. So I thank you so much for this time. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Let's uh, let's stay in touch as we together try to make a difference. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks. That was Frank Figluzzi giving us a glimpse into the world of the FBI and what they do and how they approach things or how they think about things. And he talked a little bit about victim witness specialists, which I think is a really cool job. It's like a marriage between social work, counseling and psychology and criminal justice. If you're interested in criminal justice approaches, check out Frank's book, The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Ethics, or follow his podcast, The Bureau. If you're interested in reaching out to him, you can go to his website, frankfigluzzi.com. Let me spell his name for you. It's Frank, F-R-A-N-K, dot F is in Frank, I-G-L-I-U-Z-Z-I. And if you have knowledge or lived experience working at truck stops, reach out to Frank and become a consultant. Until next time, the fight continues. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.